Welcome back to another episode of The Loading Podcast. With Hi. me, Matt Ombler, and my co-host, Matt West. Hello. Pace on that then. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's getting blind. How we doing? Good, yeah, sound. We've uh, just uh, not been doing much. Went away this weekend for a couple of days and then... Where'd you go? Yesterday. Uh, my girlfriend's parents own like a caravan up in Wales, so we just went there for a few nights. Oh, did you go cow tipping? Did nothing. <laughs> Actually, it was a, it was one of her cousins' like, um, like wedding do things. So we just had a barbecue and had a few bevies, and that was it. Really, what you've been doing? Nice and chill. Um, I have been playing Hades finally after everyone I've seen playing it has been calling it like game of the year, but not even game of the year, like fucking game of the decade or whatever. People love it. Um and now that I've played it, I can see why. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's really, yeah. really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um I'll find if, So I've got to it, it's good, isn't it? Because it takes some figuring out in terms of yeah. like so I've not played many roguelikes, and the last one I played was Returnal. So obviously I'm right. just used to you die and that's it. You're not carrying out over. Like, whereas this, it's kind of like, I think the focus is on get used to dying because that's going to happen a lot, but mm. also embrace it because you're going to need to do a couple of rounds and try and find this and try and find that and build your character stronger and stronger. So yeah. I've probably played it for about, nice one, Kenny, knocking over my stuff. Probably played it for about <laughs> five hours and oh, I've just... You're fucking scratching the surface. It's, Am I? It's, yeah. I've just done the, is it the Minotaur in Elysium? And you can't, you don't even kill him. You just get near the end of it and he runs off. And he's just like, yep, yeah, nice one, but now I'm off. Oh, like as a mini boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 like a mid-stage boss type thing. Yeah, and then yeah. Just, I just got slaughtered out in the next the next bit. After that, I just got fucking absolutely torn to bits. Ain't the boss of that floor. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But... <laughs> Solid. That's like the... That's like the first like difficulty spike in the game. Yeah. Is that there? Like the boss for that like level of the underworld is it's first fucking... first difficulty spike. I I've I been getting my ass handed to me. Have you? Like, yeah, yeah. Just that first boss. It must have taken me like twenty times until I actually figured out because you start off with one dash dirt, yeah. And then I got the double dash and I was like, all right, cool, now I can get rid of that. Now I can get out of the way of that um, area attack where she fires down like four circles on the floor. Mm-hmm. So just things like that, just figuring it out. But have you completed yeah. it then? Um, kind of, yeah. Um, as much as you can, I think. Because uh, it's kind of like... I finished the the main, like, main storyline. Um, yeah. But there's still like... The end game's massive, so technically not. I don't really want to say much because I don't want to spoil it for you. Because there's like a like to actually get because I, I got the true ending basically. I got like the the, the yeah. proper ending is the best way to say it, and it takes so much fucking work. It is. It's not like a oh finish it once or twice and it's done. It's like you've got to finish it a lot to get to there, and that's that, even if you get a successful run. Is that because there's quite a lot of focus on? Um... 
like different dial of options. Because I've noticed um, you, you, you kind of unlock like favorites, don't you? Like you, there's yeah. like a there seems to be some kind of like favorite system with the wines or something. Is it mm. what what are they called? Um, what's that shit the gods drink? Ambrosia, or is That's that the dessert? One. Ambrosia. No, it's like, uh, <laughs> they love the pink custard. Yeah, it's like that little honey pot thing, isn't it? I think it's um, yeah. Nectar. It Nectar. Yeah. and there's ambrosia, isn't there? Like yeah. All this, and I, 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 I might be thinking. I don't know if you're there yet, but there might be one above that as well. Like, there's another collect. There's like quite a lot of collectibles. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna I rinse think, into it after this. Yeah, I would. It's it's very 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 good. Um, oh. it's, I, I was one of those ones where it's like. You see everyone talking about it, and it's like, oh, I'll pick it up at some point. And I think go I just on then, I'll give it. it a try. Yeah, I thought I'll get it. I bought it in January this year, and then I ended up breaking my um one of my Joy Cons because I played it so much. I ended up like snapping one of the the the, the right one, like the actual Joy Con. I just played it that much because I was using the um. What weapons have you unlocked? Um, I've got them all apart from the last one. Okay. So, you got the bow. I've got the bow, yeah. To be yeah. I, I really liked the bow, actually. It took a while to figure out how to use it. I've gone back really? to the spear. Really? Yeah, so like I'm quite... That suits me. The bow, yeah, one, I'm... One bit of advice I would say when you're playing is when you are... You know when you have to pick the doors? Yeah. Always go for the one with the hammer. Always. If there's a, if there's a choice between something and the Daedalus hammer... Always pick the Daedalus hammer because it's like an actual like upgrade for the weapon. It's not just like a boon. It's like a so there's a there's one where with the bow you can get rid of the the pull and charge mechanic and it just becomes yeah. a machine gun basically. All right, that's sick. But you can't do the you, you can do rapid fire and then, and then it scales with like the shot speed and like the fire rate like buffs but it gets rid of like the power shot but uh, it, it, you end up doing more dps not using the power shot a lot of the time so i would always go for the daedalus hammer i'm gonna go bow hunting tonight then i'm, I'm gonna get on it but yeah right who have we had on this week you can do the you can do the introduction this week it's really? been a lovely been a lovely fellow Annie. go on yeah it was great we um spoke to grant kirk hope um Famous for writing pretty much all of theirs. Yeah. Any <laughs> um, any Nintendo game. If you've probably if you've grown up playing on Nintendo consoles, even if you don't recognise the name Grant Kirkup, there is a very, very large chance you've played a game with okay. his music in. Yeah. Have you played Goldeneye? Yes. Well you've heard his music. Have you played Banjo kazooie and Banjo Tui? <laughs> yes. Well you've heard his music. He's uh not fucking around. Like, he's uh, very, 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 very good. And he's a nice bloke as well. It was good chatting with him about more than just uh, his video game soundtrack stuff, but talking about um, how he got into it and everything. And, uh, well, you'll fucking hear it in a second, won't you? There's no putting me up in on. Roll the tape. <laughs> Should we get into it? Right. Um, and just before we go into that, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all of that good stuff. Yes, but without further ado, introducing the man, the legend, the rock star, I think that's fair to say. Um, rock and roller, fucking rock and roll legend, as you're about <laughs> to find out, the one and only Grant Kirkup. Enjoy. So let's start with rabbits because 
you're the first Western composer to work on with Mario Music. Is that correct? I, well, I think so. Yeah, I, you know, that's what I think. I, I could be wrong. I just can't think of another game, but I think I am the first Western guy. Yeah, to do since 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 Mario Kingdom Battle. Yeah. How has that been like then working with those original melodies and stuff and just arranging them? So you've got, Kirg- do- you've got Kirgi Kondo stuff in your hands and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, so I didn't do an awful lot of that. So I did like on the first game, I did I rearranged the um the castle theme from Mario Super Mario 64. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, to work for the Rabbids game. And so, you know, when Davide Soliani first said to me, We want to do that, I was pretty frightened that, you know, because I thought, you know. Koji Kondo is the Jedi Master, I'm Mr. Mia Padawan, right? You know, so um, that was a bit scary. And I had to try and think of a way I could do it as well. So I kind of yeah. cut it into bits and did a bit of me, a bit of him, a bit of me, a bit of him, and kind of blended it all together. And, you know, they, they sent it off to, to Nintendo because Nintendo have to okay it. And uh, they all liked it, so that was great. In fact, I think that was one of the, one of the reasons that I think I got the Super Smash Brothers thing because I think they, they liked the way I rearranged that you know, and so that kind of bled into the let's get Grant to do Smash Brothers for Banjo, you know. But yeah, so, you know, you know, scary having to do things like that. It was scary getting the game in the first place because, you know, when they first said to me, it's a Mario game, I was like, oh my God, you know, how on earth am I going to do this? Because, you know, Koji Kondo's done it forever and he's, and he's the best at it. What on earth could I possibly do that would be any good without ruining the game and my kids never speaking to me again forever, you know? <laughs> You know, so there was all that to to worry about, you know. And I've got to ask as well, um, have you met Miyamoto again since that first time that you met him? Can you just can you just chat through that story for people who are listening that might not be aware of the incident, if we can call it? That? <laughs> just the catastrophe. Um, oh no. Yeah, so uh, E3 got moved to Atlanta, I think, a couple of times, I think. Definitely once. I know I went there once, maybe twice. Um, And I feel like the Nintendo party was at some museum somewhere. And I remember George Benson was the the act. He was playing his guitar and what have you. And I saw Tim, obviously, those parties, we all just got blind drunk. That was what we all did, all the the rare lads, you know. (laughs) So um, it was all free booze, free food, and the rest of it. Um, So... We were all blasted, of course. It, it must have been. It must have been the um, the banjo release. You know the the you know that one. That, whatever, yeah. whatever, the one the year before it came out, wasn't it? Because it came out late. No, the same year. But yeah. Late, anyway, so um, um, we're all drunk, of course. I saw Tim Stamper chat to Mister Miyamoto, and so I thought I'm going to get him when <laughs> Tim when Tim because Tim could speak a bit of Japanese. Uh, yeah. I'll get him when um uh you know Tim. Wanders off, so he, what, I, got, I went up to Zoom. I said, "Hello, I'm Grant." Yeah, I know you can tell what I'm saying. I'm Grant Kirko. I'm the composer for Banjo Kazooie. He sort of smiled, you know, and all that, you know. And then that was it because he couldn't tell what I was saying. And yeah. so, in the real it, rare on the banjo team back in those days, so it was, we, we used to, in the summertime. We always used to pull each other's shorts down, you know, and you stood there talking to somebody. <laughs> you sneak, you sneak, you'd sneak up behind them and whip the shorts down, and, like you stood there in your pants, you know. Um, and it, uh, and there's other things that I developed. We used to call it cake slap shorts dance. When someone had a birthday rare, yeah. you had to bring a, you brought you brought your birthday cake and everyone had a bit of cake. So you had your cake in your hand. So someone come to, to do that. So the cake would yeah. go up in the air. And when, when, when that, they'd whip your shorts down at the back like that, right? 
So you look at the cake coming down in your head while your shorts cut. So it's just, it just became a tradition at Rare that everyone had super tight belts on the shorts, you know. Um, <laughs> so I went to the toilet, you know, the bathrooms is over here, and, and and George Andres was at the urinal having a wee. George Andres was a, was assistant designer on Banjo Kazooie. He wanted to be the designer mm. on Donkey Kong 64, and he's now working for King in uh, Spain. Um, I thought, all right, brilliant stuff. I'll get him right. He's at the right. So I was on his, and he's, George is a really strong lad, right? And he's, he's holding his trousers up with, 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 with yeah. his one hand. And I was at the back of my knees trying to pull his shorts down. So I was applying drugs. <laughs> we all were, right? And as I looked around like that, Mr. Yamoto stood right there. <laughs> I went, all right. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to say, really. So that was kind of, <laughs> needless to say, I've never met him since. So It's like a sketch. You can't write that stuff. I know. The, the, the things, things that were often went that way. And we had, we had, we had a, a very healthy, um, having a laugh uh, thing at Rare. So there was a great many things that went that way. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk more about Rare because I think everybody listening will be familiar with games like GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Killer Instinct, Donkey Kong 64. Like me and West are both like massive Nintendo fans. So we're saying... Even that we want to make this chat predominantly about your kind of like music backgrounds and the bands that you've played in. We'll talk more about that later because Dirt Down Play, you've played with the likes of Bon Jovi and Van Halen, which is fucking massive. So we want... small No, no big deal. Just yeah, quick, quick opening slot for Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll chat more about that later. But the red is because obviously everything you guys touched 10 to gold and like Nintendo clearly fucking knew that because the money was coming in, you were getting the projects and stuff. They had, they had confidence like, but to pull these games off, I would imagine that you need a tight knitted team where everyone gets along and there's that environment where people can pitch ideas creatively and the work gets shot down and whatever else. So like, just what was it like working at Rare? So I think people forget that prior to Rare, they were called Ultimate Play the Game. Yeah. So, you know, and they were mega successful on the spectrum, right? So they'd already had a, a good deal of, I mean, a giant success on the spectrum. And like, and Tim and Chris, you know, they're all, they've always mastered, Tim and Chris Stamper, the brothers around the place. But they're always really forward thinking, always, always, always. So mm-hmm. even as the spectrum was at its height, they were already looking ahead, you know, to the next thing. So they kind of stepped back from, Ultimate play the game. Um, and we're looking at the NES because that was the first thing coming out for Nintendo. Mm. It was uh, supposed to be like arcade graphics at home, you know, that thing. And so they were already looking at that. But Nintendo never looked at a Western company ever. So Chris Stamper, who was a programmer part, Tim was kind of the art guy. He reverse engineered the NES on his own uh, and managed to work out how it worked and then made a game for it and sent it across to Nintendo, which was unheard of, right? So, um, they just, the, just to, before we go on from that real quickly, the reverse engineering thing was a big deal because was it the case that everybody, Nintendo had to publish everyone's games? Was it, right. what, what was the big thing with reverse engineering? Why that was such a big deal? Well, I don't think anybody had tried to do it. It was yeah. like the, people thought it was a closed shop, right? You know, to get inside that thing and get the, get it, work the code out, work out was going to work was amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they had another partner at that point called Joel Hochberg and Joel, was in Miami. He had run a big, a big arcade in Miami. And they were, he was kind of rare Miami. It was only really a name, really. He was just kind of a, I guess, an administrative... But he had a, 
a relationship with the Nintendo already, so that Tim and Chris knew that you going through Joel, they could get get because you couldn't you can't get to Nintendo, you can't talk to anybody there if you try to you know you just can't do it. So that sort of set it off. Nintendo were amazed at the game, thought Rare were amazing, and that it all yeah. went forward. Um, you know, and then it so so it came to. You know, skip forward, they did the snares, the gigantic success of Donkey Kong, which was like, you know, amazing. You know, that was that game looked unbelievable because they used the Silicon Graphics machines artwork and reduced it down to, a, you know, all that stuff that everyone knows the story, right? Um, and so, and I was I was aware of Rare because I'd played in lots of local bands. You know, I'd like to say I played in some bands that did well, some bands that played in pubs, and I didn't, I didn't play... Bon Jovi gigs all the time. I was doing bloody pub gigs for 35 quid a night, playing covers, don't worry, for a long time, you know, all, all in between gigs, you know. Um, and so I had a friend, Robin Beanland, who was a keyboard player. He's from Leeds. And I was from, you know, I, I lived in Nesborough. And we played in a band together, we were mates. And he announced one day he got a job and he said, I'm going to go and work at a video game company called Rare. And I'd never heard of them. Um, and off he went to get a job. And like, no one that I knew got a job. All my mates played in bands, sat on the door, in bands on the door. That was what we did all the time, off and on. I did it for, off and on for 11 years, mm. you know, straight out of college, 22 to 33. And he'd been there about a year and a half. He says, Grant, you know, you've been on the door more or less for about 11 years, living at home with my mother still, 33, 32. He said, don't you think you should get a job? And I was like, well, you know, what can I do? He said, well, why don't you try writing music for video games like I am? And I was like, I, mean, I never once thought about being a composer because I was terrible at harmony. When I was, yeah. I went to university for four years at the Royal Oncology of Music in Manchester, um, proper, proper classical degree. I was terrible at harmony. I failed the harmony exam three years out of four, only just scraped by in the last year. So I never once thought about being a composer. Like I play, I wrote metal songs for the metal bands I was in because I was a guitar player, you know, but never thought about being a you know, proper composer, like ridiculous. So I thought, all right, I said, Robin, I'll have a go, but I doubt I can do it. So you recommended to get a bit of gear, you know, Atari ST, you know, Cubase, bits and pieces, keyboard, synth. And I saw I wrote tunes that I thought were appropriate for video games. I played a lot of games at the time. Sent Rare five cassette tapes, you know the story. And then, you know, I got no reply. Then out of the blue, I got a letter saying, please come to interview. Dave Rise interviews me. And I got the job. Couldn't believe it. So that was it. You know, 33, first job. Left my mother and shifted down to live in Colville, uh, just off the M1. Uh, and uh, started at Rare. You know, I, you, know, when I, you know, at that point, I knew who they were. I mean, the fact that Nintendo bought half the company or just under half, 49%, yeah. was on news at 10, for God's sake. You know, in the UK, it was such a... Nintendo had never bought into a company outside the UK, Japan, sorry, ever. But Rare was such, such an amazing job on the NES and the SNES that I think Nintendo thought, we've got to have these guys because they're gold, you know. And everything that Tim and Chris stamp a touch just turned to gold. That was it. Especially that period that I was there. You know, everything they touched was just like... You know, I, you know, when I I couldn't believe my lucky stars that I actually got a job for once, or the first job in my life, and was ended up at bloody rare. They just they just, just done Donkey Kong Country two, you know. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ! You know, here I am. You know, I'm not gonna believe. Even though I was stuck on the bloody Game Boy for the first thing, you know, doing the converting Dave Wise's tunes from Donkey Kong Country two, Diddy yeah. Kong's Quest to work on the original on, on the original Game Boy, even though that was a bit laborious, I still thought, Jesus Christ, I'm really here. You know, this is fantastic. You know, there was Ferraris in the car park, fancy cars, you know, like just unbelievable. And this bloody man of farmhouse and twice across in the middle of nowhere. You know, I thought it was at Disneyland, you know, and the, and the Stamper family were, were absolutely brilliant. Like, you know, the mm. Tim and Chris were the bosses. Stephen Stamper, the brother, did the grounds. Tim's, uh, Tim's wife, Carol, was in the office. Louise Stamper, the sister, was in the office. Carol's dad was, was a, another, another admin guy. Uh, Tim and Chris's mum and dad, Beryl, and, uh, worked there. 
uh, in the kitchen doing the, you know, there were, it was a family run company, you know, and I got there in October 95. Right, and you know, Christmas party comes up in December, they put a massive bloody marquee up in the bloody thing. It's just all, you know, I treat the staff like absolute gold. Yeah. You know, just I absolutely adored being there. Like it was, you know, and I did the Game Boy first off, and then they decided, then Graham Norgate, who was doing GoldenEye and Blasco, took at the same time, so look, I'm really busy on uh, Blasco, uh, you know, and he's also doing that Ken Giffrey on the snares baseball thing, or Giffrey, I can't remember his name. Said, do you mind take, helping me out and go that I'd taken over while I, you know, get, and I was like, <laughs> are you kidding? Go that I? Yeah, and I was like, are you joking? Because like, I, I, I didn't think I'd get on, get on the N64 for a while. I, you know, yeah. I thought I'd, I'd be there a year or so before they'd let me have a go with it. So, you know, because I was new, I mean, who knows, I could have been completely useless. I still could be, I suppose. Um, you know, so that was, you know, to, and to get to go to Goldeneye, and then it was just amazing. And then, then it, you know, after I got, I got for maybe halfway through it, Graham came back and I got, Poached off by Tim and Greg to go and start on Dream with Dave because Dave was on Dream. Robin was doing Killer Instinct on the on the arcade machine, um, and then Greg came back and finished it off. So I guess Gold and I was kind of half and half. Graham did all the sound effects and probably did half the music each, something like that. Uh, I mean, you know, for God's sake, unbelievable, right? You know, um, I, could, if, I, you know I, I never forget. Like I was sat one night in my little when I first got there, the, 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 all the all the barns were like they were like narrow stables, really. But the convert it was a man of farm. I said converted it slowly, slowly into into development barns, right? So the music block had no space for me because I had Robin, Graham, Evelyn, and Dave in it. So that those four. So I had to go to this thing called the chicken shed. It was the old chicken shed they used to have. So I was in there. So um, I one night I remember Chris Stamper turned up at like eight o'clock at night with a bunch of Japanese blokes. I don't know who they were. So I like granted, just thought, do you mind if it's coming in? Listen to you go. And I was like, oh, all right. And I thought, oh my god, it's going to be a disaster. You know? Um, and it was Mr. Arakawa, for Christ's sake. He was head of Nintendo America. I, mean, I, didn't, I had no idea who it was. <laughs> so this goes, this goes, can you play some of your tunes? I thought, so I played a few tunes, you know, yeah, thanks, off they went, you know. Next day, Tim Stamper turned up with this young bloke who didn't know who he was. <clears throat> and uh, said, oh, Grant, uh, very straight face, just thought we'd come and listen to some, some music. I thought, all right, I'm getting fired for definitely. Obviously, I, I, I made an yeah. absolute arse of it last night, you know. Uh, and uh, that's it, packed me bags, you know. So... Tim sat on the floor and Greg, this other lad, sat on the chair. And I was like, Jesus Christ, who's this young lad who's sitting in the chair? The boss is sat on the floor. Who's, I didn't know, I had no idea who it was, right? I thought maybe he was a journalist, I had no idea. But it was Greg Mills. Um, so a very stony, I mean, Greg's famously so stony faced, he never smiles. He's just got this kind of screensaver face he puts on. So <laughs> I said, Can you play a tune? Yeah, next one I played through him. Yeah, and then, yeah, right. So uh, we like those. So we'd like you to come and work on Dream. And I was, all right, yeah, that's great. I just finished a goal, right? No, no, you're done with Golden Eye right now. <laughs> Pack your stuff, move into the dream barn. I was like, right. So that was it. That was over. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm doing that now. So off I went. Uh, and Dave's went to me and Dave started to dream together, you know. Um, but you know, the whole, I felt the whole ethos at Rare, the whole camaraderie, all the teams were kept separate. You had, you, all your keys were coded. You couldn't get into any one of the other barns. <clears throat> you couldn't, I couldn't go to the Conquer barn or the other barn and look what they were doing because my key wouldn't get me in. So they like to keep the team separate. It was just a, it, so it created like a friendly rivalry mm. where we all tried to outdo each other, which I think was healthy for the company, really. Mm-hmm. But because the, the audio guys used to often work on multiple games, slowly your key would get you in everywhere, but other people couldn't get everywhere. But I could probably get everywhere by that, you know, by yeah. later on, so we could see all the other stuff. You know, but I mean, it was it was just that I, I just found it to be absolutely magical to be there. And I just adored the Stamper family. I thought Tim and Chris were great bosses, you know, um, 
I'm, I work more closely with Tim than Chris. Chris kind of she was kind of on the kind of Diddy Kong racing team, and Tim was on the banjo team because it was a kind of it went from the Donkey Kong team into the Dream team into the back because Dream switched to banjo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt like I knew Tim better just because I've just you know dealt with him more. Yeah. Being that, Tim was one of those guys where, where he always had a, a what if idea, like you do something, you'd go yeah, that's great. What about this? And you always go, oh, I never thought of that. You know, what about this bit of tune? Or what about that, that melody or whatever it was? It was just something to say about something, you know. And I really liked that. Um, and Greg equally. I mean, like, you know, that banjo team, you know, we were really, really good. We are still good friends to this day. We, 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 got, we hung out together. We went and got drunk together. We did daft things together. We took the piss out of each other nonstop for yeah. the entire time we were together. It's just like imagine a bunch of lads, right? So, you know, um, and that humour just bled into the game. You know that thing that we were just—that's where the game. That that game is because of those people, and that's why sometimes I think you get if people trying to like some of the big companies stick teams together, hunt for the best. It doesn't always work like that. You've got to get along. Yeah. You've got to like each other. You know. Well, that's not worlds apart from. It's almost kind of like that lads on tour band mentality. Yeah. Because <laughs> West West's in a band. I've been in a band. You've been in a band, and that that whole camaraderie and stuff and just generally just dicking around and just having a laugh like it it just kind of sounds like that so like how was it similar to that kind of like environment you'd been in while you're in bands albeit obviously in a slightly more professional way kind of thing but where the similarities do you think yeah i do think so i think like you know the the biggest toss i did with the little angels um and i kind of knew those lads a bit from before i played for them um because i knew the manager and i knew them from just other bands have bumped into them over, over the years. But, you know, we, you know, we spent, you know, like we, we did the Bon Jovi tour, all of us in a Toyota Previa. Like we're in a Toyota Previa, titting around Europe, you know, you know, doing Bon Jovi gigs. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, you know, that's what we did. And same with the Van Halen tour, the same thing. So you, you're cooped up in a really tiny space. Yeah. In that bloody car, you know, stinking because you can't wash your bloody clothes. You know what I mean? You've got to get on. You've got to get along. You, you have to get along, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you do have your ups and downs. Of course you do. But I mean, you know, we got on really well. I'm still friends with all, the, all them lads right now, you know, kind of thing. So it's all the same. So, and I felt like it was a bit awesome. So it was a bit more lively. Than, Rare was not as lively as that, you know, kind of thing. But, um, you know, yeah, I love the, 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 the people that my closest friends from Rare are still my closest friends now, you know, you know, or right across the teams that I knew, you know, kind of thing. Um, and we still look back. I mean, you know, some people left and got disgruntled with it, but I, 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 I got disgruntled in the end. Yeah. But I really thought I'd be there forever because I adored being at Rare. Absolutely yeah. adored it. I thought it was a fantastic place to. They treated the staff well. I, I got treated really well. Um, you know, so it was great for me. When Tim and Chris left, it was like I just didn't. It wasn't the great. Same, that's why I left in the end. It wasn't the same place for me. How long were you there Come. for after they left? So it's hard to know when they left. I'd guess maybe a year and a bit, something like that. Yeah. So I can't, I'll have to, I can't work out the right the, the timeline. Um, but it was two thousand something, two, I don't know, three or four, something like that. I think. And I'm maybe a bit later than that. I think Tim was still there when we were doing Viva Pinata. I remember him called me about that. Um, so yeah, somewhere in the early two thousands. But I was at rare twelve years really, twelve and a bit. Yeah. Good run. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a good run. And, you know, like, I feel like if I'd have stayed, I finished on, you know, uh, Nuts and Bolts and Viva Pinata 2, Triple and Paradise. And then they went to do, went in to do uh, Connect Sports. And I wouldn't have liked that. Um, and I, I didn't know that was coming. But if I'd have stayed, 
I don't know if I'd like that. I don't know if you'd have stayed, maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, if it's weird, isn't it? Because you look at what Microsoft was doing with the Kinect, and then, which kind of got, let's be honest, like it got shot on. Like whether or not that was not the right time or just, I think it was a mix of two things. I think, West, you'd probably agree, like you've got this company who has got this solid reputation for making some of the best games in the world. And then all of a sudden, half the team are just doing connect things. So I yeah. think there was a lot of people who were kind of like, what is Rare doing? But I think also, I don't think people were ready for the Connect because if you look at that and that then compare it work. to the Wii, it's what? It didn't fucking work. It's crap. Oh, yeah, and it did. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> That'd be why. Then, if you look at the Wii, though, it's like it's not that different. I mean, the Wii worked, but do you know what I mean? It was that whole idea. The principles were the same Yeah. in terms of what yeah. they wanted to do, but... I just think, I don't know, the motion controls on the Wii just seemed they were simpler. And I, 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 I don't know enough about the, the technology behind the Kinect to start going in depth with it. But from just, I, I worked at Game at the time. Uh, this was years and years ago. And I was there when we were, at, we were trying to do the typical game thing where it's like, oh, you've got to get pre-orders for it. And I just remember standing there being like, oh, yeah, come and do the demo of it. And then just standing there and watching them like, they're not going to pre-order this because it's not even picking them up. <laughs> Every single time, like, oh, look at this amazing new technology that doesn't recognise that you stood in front of it half the time. I think, I think also, like, you, you know, Nintendo did it first, right? So they looked like Microsoft just playing capture, wasn't it? That's yeah. what it looked like. Mm. Um, I remember, yeah, I, I think that, you know, and they didn't have the games for it either. I think, yeah, you know, Nintendo gave it some thought. But before, I mean, I always kind of feel like Nintendo either get it massively right or massively wrong, you know. And when they get it massively right, it's just fantastic. You know, after and after the N64... And we did the game because the game didn't go so well. I think we all thought Nintendo were maybe going to stop making hardware. They were going to just be like Sega and make software. That's what we thought yeah. might happen, you know. Um, and then, of course, along comes the along comes the the Wii, and my God, it's hundred million whatever it was consoles are selling. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely crazy, right? So, um, I just think Microsoft did just. I think Nintendo are innovators a lot of the time. I think other companies aren't so much. I think Nintendo will have a go. Like the Wii U didn't quite work, but then the Switch is absolutely fantastic, right? Yeah. You know, I think that it's just Nintendo just aren't scared to have a go. And I think other people play it a bit safe in making the console. It's just a bit, bit better graphics, bit more memory, mm -hmm. etc., more processing power yeah. every single time. And it's just the same, really, apart from that. Where Nintendo have got this, look at the Switch, you can just stick it in the dock, play the thing, take it on the bus with you. Like, absolutely fantastic, right? I mean, you can see why it's so brilliant. Um, yeah. And I always feel like, it's not always a, the fact that you want better graphics or better this or better that. It doesn't make a better yeah. game, right? I mean, That's you know, you, yeah, look at, the, look at the 3DO. It was like 64-bit. Oh, yeah, no one bought it because all the games are crap. Yeah, you know, Yeah, no. So, I mean, I think I feel like it's all about the software. It's not about the hardware. You know, pe people, yeah, people will sort of play a game that doesn't look great and it plays fantastically well. I mean, look at something like Undertale. Quite a lot of it's like quite cheapy, quite you know, like the way it looks. But what a fantastic game, fantastic story. People are crying over that game because it's got such a fantastic story. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what a, a game should be. It's not about you know, you can, I feel like you can you can get away with something not looking great, sounding great, if it's a great, great game. 
No, I agree fully. Like my a game I always sing praises about is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii. When that came out, amazing soundtrack as well. One of my favorites. Um, when that came out, I was trying to convince people to play it. And they're like, "Oh, how do I play it?" It's like, "Oh, you need to play it on the Wii." And people would be like, "Yeah, I'm not playing a JRPG on the Wii, no way." Mm. But I, I I agree fully. Like it, it does. Like the software matters ten times more than the hardware a lot of the time. And with Nintendo. The focus has always been, it seems, about providing like a good gameplay experience over a graphical one. You don't, again, you only have to look at the Switch. And it's like they could probably maybe push a bit higher resolution out of it, but they don't need to. Mm. So people are going on about this Switch Pro for ages and stuff. They don't need to make one. They don't need to upgrade the hardware. They just need to focus on making more games and just getting them out the door. Because that's again, that's the thing that matters. Like you look at Breath of the Wild, like. It looks good. It looks amazing, but by modern standards nowadays, it's not got like the highest resolution or the highest mm. like poly count or anything in it. But it doesn't matter because the gameplay experience is so amazing. Yeah, totally agree. I feel like that's something that gets overlooked. Um, yeah. You know, what are some of your favorite Nintendo games in Grant? So I've not actually read much about what you play and what games you're really into. Well, I don't play a lot. A, a lot these days. I just haven't got the time. Um, yeah. But having said that, I mean, my son are playing World of Warcraft right now, so I kind of got to Shadowlands. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I think back to playing World of Warcraft when I played it years ago, and when I was at Rare, I was doing the raids at night time and all that, getting back from Rare fast to get online to do the raids and stuff, you know. Um, and then I didn't play it for a while, but I mean, it's funny, he was like, you know, he was a kid then, two, three, four, five years old, whatever yeah. it was. Now he's 18. So it's great we can play it together now. So we've played all the way yeah. through, we've got to Shadowlands, and I'm, you know, because I did Shadowlands music last year, it's great for me to hear the Shadowlands tunes playing that I did, you know, it's fantastic. I can't believe that. You know, on the show, I, I did that so Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, yeah. That's so, your but, old dad. <laughs> no, yeah, and I'm playing with his mates too, so we've got, you know, we're all on bloody on the on the Discord, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. so it's, so it's um, I'm really, really enjoying that. I mean, like, I think my favourite games are probably older games because things like, like Zelda Link to the Past is probably my favourite game of all time. I just think that's a fantastic game. Secret Monkey Island, mm. did, you know, Full Throttle, the tentacle, they were, they were great point and click. The Indiana Jones, all the Lucas Art stuff was just fantastic, you know. Stuff Mario 64, of course, was amazing. I like Wave Race too, um, you know, all, all, that, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then after that, I think I played well, World of Warcraft, played a lot after that, um, for exclusively for you know, I had a, had a complete addiction to World of Warcraft. My wife's like, you know, my wife's like, divorce is coming if you don't stop playing that in the game, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so you know, I think that that's the stuff that I, that I, that I like. Um, Shadow, not Shadow, Shadow Run. I love Shadow Run on the, on the snare. I thought that was a fantastic, yeah, game, a great story, right? Um, so, um, should I think what else I played on the N64? I had quite a few of the What did I play? Of course, Zelda, of course, again. Um, can't just say your own games as well, by the way. Yeah, well, you, well, you know. <laughs> Banjo's Banjo's great. Banjo one and two. I'm gonna. I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. I'm. (laughs) I'm a big fan of them both. But like, I'll go out there and say I prefer them to Super Mario sixty four any day of the week. Give me Banjo Tui any day. We tr- don't downplay it. Don't, don't, don't downplay it, Grant. No, but we, we, you know, we, you know, when we were making that game, you know, we, we got, you know, we got, we got, we got when the N sixty four dev kits, right? So we got Mario early because obviously we, you know, we were half on by Nintendo. So we all look at that game going, bloody hell, this is amazing, you know. Um, but that was our sights. We set our sights on, you know, especially doing Banjo Kazooie, trying to make a better platform than Mario. And I'm not saying we did it, but that's what you we know. were trying to do, you know. We, and we tried to make it, but in a, it's a bit different. The humor is a bit more irreverent. It's a bit more. You know, it's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's that, that Brit humor in that, in that game, you know? Yeah. 
and that's something, something I realised until years later was that because re- me being young at the time playing it, I had no idea where the games were made. You just assume they're all made overseas. So, so when you're playing it, and then and you play it a few years when you're a bit old, and you're like. This was definitely written by like a British team, one hundred percent. I think that's why we connected with it more when we were younger. Right. Ooh. The one thing I've got to ask is because I've never actually been able to find out if this is true or not, or if it was intentional. Spiral Mountain is right. that the main area on Banjo Tui? So I'm talking about Banjo Tui specifically. Well, really no, but, 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 no, when you start the game, though, Spiral Mountain's all, all wrecked because it's kind of... It's all yeah, broken. yeah, yeah. Right. So, I remember there's a Twitter channel and a YouTube channel called Did You Know Gaming? And they just post gaming facts. And they posted a zoomed-out picture of, do you know where you go up and then go across into Gruntilda's there? Right. And it just looks like a cock spunking. And apparently... <laughs> What's that <laughs> an intentional design that was put into the game or was well, that just you know, because it looks when you look at it? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny, of course. Uh, <laughs> but there's lots of stuff like that in Banjo. You know, it, it, you know, there's lots of that in Grab by the Ghoulies as well. It's you know, it's like it's lots of stuff like that. It's that kind of brick humour. Um, so I can neither confirm nor deny, but I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was something else. There was something else really cool. Um, uh, there's an Easter egg in, um, oh, what's the factory level in Banjo Tui? Is it just Gruntilda's factory? Grunty's, f- f- oh. Grunty's factory, I think. God, I can't remember what it's called. Something like apparently, that. there's like a, this is all um, RNG, apparently, the chances of it happening, but there's a character who you can just hear on the bog. But the chances of that actually happening when you're learning at the level are really, really rare. Like I'm finding out all of this weird trivia about old get and that key. What is that key doing in Banjo Kazooie? That key behind the ice wall. Who put that there and why? Well, that, but that was all for the stop and swap, right? Wasn't it? So that, that was for all that stop and swap. So you can, you know, for the second game. But then, but the feature got got we couldn't use it, so we couldn't. So it's just there anyway. So you just, you just see it, but you yeah. can't do anything with it. Uh, but that, it was there for that reason to link to the second game, but we couldn't link it, so we got we got told we couldn't do it. But the whole to- the whole toilet thing, like I've done the sound effect for that, so I can't remember if that's <laughs> real or not. Because um, I did on Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Two, I did all the music, all the sound effects, so I did everything in those two games. Yeah. So um, as I say, I, w- I would have done the farting noises or whatever it was. So I don't know. Possibly, I have to I'll have to look. I, I can't ever hear someone tuning a guitar now without thinking of the opening credits to Banjo Kazooie, and it's been yeah, like that. Yeah. It. I'm not sure that everybody got that. You know, I, I thought this, it was me saying, "Well, it's Banjo." Try to remember what he did in the first game. That's that was my imagination thing. Oh, it's, yeah. He's sitting there with Banjo. And I don't know if everybody got that, but that's right. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, but any time I hear someone tuning a guitar now, it's like, oh, Banjo. right, right. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I totally get that. <laughs> Something I've got to ask as well is I was watching that video you did with the Game Grumps guys. Right. This was like seven years ago or something. You were talking about the GoldenEye soundtracks. You were playing GoldenEye, I think, on the video. Um, and the it might be the music from Dam. You said that was influenced by Faith No More's we care a lot. Yes. Going into your band links now, your band roots. Right. How important 
was your background as a guitarist in like these rock? Was it a metal band? Yeah. When you were, yeah, yeah. How important were your roots in like metal music into like what you created with video game music wise? Like, are there any nods within other tracks that we might not be aware of? Because I fucking love the GoldenEye soundtrack and I never made that connection with Faith No More. And then I heard it and it's hilarious because the actual drums, the, the whatever sample packet is you're using in GoldenEye, the right. drums sound sick. Yeah. Like even, and, and the uncompressed, the uncompressed one, because I, someone put that up on YouTube, the drums in that are just like, that snare drum is just like pop. pop it's, it's yeah, sick. that was, yeah, we had, the, we had those Roland uh, 706, 706 um, sample library at uh, um, CD-ROMs and we could load it to us. Yeah. Uh, the samples in those days couldn't hold any memory, they were tiny. But um, it had, had a whole um, um, drum percussion CD thing, so I found the snare and the, and the kick drum off that off that Roland sample set. Um, so no, it was faith. Yeah, because faith the mob occurred a lot, and also it was a Duran Duran. I did closer to that to Duran Duran. I had to take one of the stabs out. It was too close, um, yeah. so I put them together. But I mean, like you know, out, so it's funny because I was a completely classically trained trumpet player, right? Did the proper associated board exams. Went to went to Royal College of Music to study trumpet properly, classical. But at the same time, I was playing metal band and, on, on guitar. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had this kind of both ends of the spectrum really that, that I was kind of doing. So I think that having that that kind of metal background was really handy for a playing the guitar in Killer Instinct Two when I got there. I did that for Robin on, on the on the arcade machine, uh, and also it, it played really well into go into go there because it's, it's quite rocky, right? So I used yeah. quite a lot of rock influences on that, um, you know, kind of thing. Um, but for Little Angels, who did all the big tour, and I played trumpet for them. So I was there's like the band and we were the horn section, me and, and a guy called Dave Kemp, who's you know he's, he played sax. <clears throat> so, you know, it's a kind of funny, you know, it's always, always, always I, played in, I played in a band called Zoot and the Roots, right, for up for about seven years. And they were a big uni band in the UK in like the 80s. Yeah. And we did like, um, we did all the unis. We did quite a lot of stuff in Europe. We did, we played Saturday Night Live, Ben Elton, we did that. You know, we did that kind of stuff, right, you know, and kind of thing. I was our trumpet playing for them. And it's kind of a soul funk band they were. Um, so I did that. We did the London Palladium. We played it. When Benny King was the one Stand By Me, he was playing the London Palladium, sold out. He wanted a backing band, so we were his backing band. We did the support set. I mean, play the London Palladium, pretty special, right? And then, and then and we came back on and we were his backing band. And that was a, that was a night full of stars, because like Jimmy Page was there, Robert Plant was there, Mick Huckman was there, Simon Kirk from Bad Company, uh, Nick Jones from Foreigner, uh, Ronnie Wood from Stones. Quite a lot of the lads from uh, EastEnders were there. Rubbing so we, shoulders we, with the greats. Well, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, we got we got really matey with the EastEnders lads back in at Wixie and you know uh, Sam Berry and uh, what, what what's what's his name Tom Watts who played Lofty he was there. Uh, got quite he used to see him at all the gigs. We got quite friendly with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like um, you know, you know, Robert Plant was there for Christ's sake. We're like you know, you know, you know and like, I, I, like so we kind of got to. Another bizarre thing happened on this this weird journey of mine, right? I've already told this story once before. Um, so um, we were playing JBs in Dudley in Birmingham and yeah. uh, with Zoot and the Roots, uh, the salt man, and Robert Plant turned up. I don't know why, because he's a bit, I mean, for, for God's sake, it was a shitty club, right? And for all, for all you know, came in the dressing room, right, lads, all mates, and he sort of got us a Benny King gig, because he was, yeah. can you like the band, thought it'd be great for Benny King. Anyway, years later, I was playing for Little Angels, and we were doing a BBC Radio One session for Jackie Brambles at the, um, uh, the BBC Studios, there. and the, the manager of Little Angels, Little Angels, 
was also part of the company that managed uh, plant and the who it's big bill kirby's trading management wow. he said oh yeah he said grant robert plant's looking for a guitar player for um he's going to do a tour and this was the 29 palms era robert plant you know i was like oh but yeah i'd like to do that he said ah you're too metal you never he wouldn't like you and i was like you know give me a chat no no so i was pissed off so i went home after the thing back to yorkshire and i and i've got all this this blues backing track um for a steve ray vaughan thing i did me on solo over it sent it off to the manager he passed it on and thought more about it anyway i got a phone call it's it's kev the manager's grant he says he said the tape's pretty great. I can't believe it. I think Plant's going to phone you. And I was like, you're joking, right? Anyway, put the phone down. Rings. I'm in Nairsborough. Picks it yeah. up. Hello, Grant. Robert Plant here. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll tell the story once before. Uh, and uh, I said, like, Jesus Christ, how are you, you know, how are you doing? <laughs> what do you say to Robert Plant? You know, she's like, I've heard, the, I said, I've heard the tape. He says, I think, I think it's great. You'd be great for the band. We're going off on tour. He said, we're going to play to about a million people. We've got our own private jet. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, shit the bed. I'm going to go and play guitar from a plant. Couldn't believe it. So, wait a So, a week went by, two weeks went by. And I never heard anything. I thought, oh, you know what? So, what's happening? And, kind of, and what had happened was, you know, you had Francis Dunry play for It Bites. Remember the band It Bites years ago? You might be too young, I don't know. Uh, Frank, Frank Dunry did the guitar on the album. He didn't want to do the tour. But they, yeah. so they needed somebody else, but they talked him into it, and so I didn't get the gig. So oh, shit. that was my uh, that was my little rubber plot. But I mean, you know, it's, I still, as I say, I've never told the story before, apart from once before. But that's goes on this truth, you know. That it, I mean, to get Robert Plant on the phone saying, "All right, Grant, mate, how you doing?" I think Grant, I can't believe it, you know. Uh, but then just after that, I was mega depressed, of course, at that point. I thought, "Oh, God, yeah. here we go," you know. Uh, and just about, just after that, Little Angels got the Van Halen tour, so that really cheered me up. I mean, you know, meeting Eddie was great. He was a super nice bloke. You know, he gave me the guitar, all that stuff, you know. Um, How big were they at this point, then? So Van Halen, it was the uh, Right Here, Right Now tour. So Sammy Hagar was singing. So yeah. they, were, they were gigantic at that, at that point, because they yeah, had yeah. a massive success with, with Hagar singing, right? So and it was a six-week tour of, of Europe. But I mean, you know, you never know how it's going to go when you play with these big bands. It could be ourselves, but Van Halen were su- I mean, super nice. And Eddie in particular is such a genuinely nice, warm man. He really was. Like he'd, ch- he'd chat to you. I chatted to him every day for six weeks because he was my absolute hero. And I thought I might never meet him ever again in my life. Yeah. So I've got to just talk to him every day. I don't give it for 10 minutes, five, 10 seconds. I don't care yeah. what it is, you know. Uh, and he was he's just, just, he'd just sit and chat about any old nonsense. He's a super nice man playing the guitar and stuff while he's t- chatting to you. Ask him all the things I went down to ask, how did you play that? How did that bit go? What did you do there? He's showing the bits and stuff, you know. Um, and we got to Paris. So we'd, done, we'd be around Europe and we're coming back to the UK to do shows at, uh, I think, NEC in Wembley Arena. And he said, I'm uh, in Paris, said, Eddie, can I get a picture? I have a picture of me with Eddie. It's, uh, yeah. you know, so I've got one picture of me stood next to me, you know, like this. And he goes, yeah, can you say a quick word with the grant? I said, oh, God, I'm at, I've done, I've done something wrong. He took, he took, <laughs> took it to the side room, just he said, look, right, look. Uh, you know, because he'd given the lads in Little Angels a guitar, he's the bass player, and, the, and, the guitar, and he didn't realise, because I played trumpet, he didn't realise I was a guitar player, right? Yeah. So I just found out you're a guitar player, so I just want to let you know, I'm going to give you the guitar. And I was like, what the what? fuck, you know? I, I, saw, I said, quite hey, quietly said, I said, I'd be happy with the plectrum, mate. I don't need to have a guitar, you know, just a plectrum. <laughs> I'd, be happy, I'd, 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 you know, I'd treasure it for, for the rest of my life, you know? He says, no, no, I've got a guitar here at Wembley and all that, you know, and uh, he turned up Wembley, gave me a guitar, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, nicest man. And, and, you know, there's such a lots of little funny stories from that from that tour. Like Eddie's was, you know, because he's, he's so down to earth, even though he's a gigantic star. 
Like, yeah. he just had no ears and graces whatsoever. Like, I remember me and Jim Dickinson, the keyboard player for Little Angels, were in the toilet having a piss after the gig, and we're chatting away, and the stall door opens, and Eddie's in, Eddie's in the stall having a crap, right? <laughs> and he just to join in with the conversation. And I've had, I've had, I've had a chat, you know, and they're like, oh, all right, Eddie, you know, he's having a crap. <laughs> No, no, it's increasingly, you know, what kind of rock star would do that? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, just, just absolutely brilliant. I mean, and like, I, you know, it just, uh, things, I remember like me and Rich, the drummer, drummer for Little Angels, uh, Mark Richardson, he plays for the Skunk and Nancy now. Um, and they would be playing in Belgium and, the, and, the, and the, the gig was right in a big car park right next to the hotel we were staying in. So after the gig, we were walking, we wanted to walk backstage and just say to Eddie and the lads, brilliant show, because they always watched, we watched every show because they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And he came out, he's got his, they've all got these like red dressing gowns with their names on them, you know. And he come out and he's looking really upset. And we're like, but Eddie, man, we're absolute fantastic shows. Oh, lads, I just think that it's crap tonight. We were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you just blew our <laughs> balls off, you know. We thought you were absolutely fantastic. You know? He said, oh, you're such a nice lad. He just, he just, he just pulled the kisses both on the lips, right? <laughs> and Eddie, anybody that knows Eddie Van Halen will tell you that he's a real, he's a real kissing, he's a, he's a real warm guy like that, you know? Yeah. And so that was the first time it happened to us. And I remember we were walking back over the car park back to the hotel, yeah. like me and Rich walking like in silence, you know, just going, Eddie just kisses. Kiss yeah, yeah, just kiss. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like just fantastic. So, you know, for me, I, I, you know, after the Robert Plant thing, I was massively upset. I mean, it really was because, you know, I really thought it was going to happen. Um, yeah. And then um, to get the Van Halen tour and for them to be so nice to us, and especially to, get, get to meet Eddie and chat to him, like I could, I could go to sign my albums and stuff and all that stuff, you know, like just brilliant. How, how rare it, what, right, so I, I've always been interested as someone who's not been in a big band, like what it's like when you meet your idols. So you've met Van Halen, West, you toured with fucking Blink-182, which mm -hmm. as far as like, our generation of idols yeah. are concerned. There, what what were they like? Was that like a similar thing where they were quite sound? Or yeah, they were they were really nice. So just for some background on Blink, the guitar player now, uh, Matt Skiba, plays in a band called Alkaline Trio, who are my favourite band of all time. Like I, big shin tattoo with like their logo and everything. I'm obsessed with them, and I was really nervous going into that tour. Probably I I don't, I don't know if you were. Uh, Grant, when you went on that one, what were your thoughts like before you went on tour with them? Were you like kind of nervous about meeting them uh, in terms of honestly, not, not honestly, not really. I was mega excited because we'd done a few decent sized gigs before that. We'd done Players Easy Top, we did Brad Adams, and that was at Wembley. We did the, with Wembley Stadium, Brad Adams, which was like the original yeah. Wembley Stadium, like 70,000. Wow. You know, I mean, and we did like you know, we did like I think we did six football stadiums in the UK, like Cardiff Arms Park, Man City Football Grounds, Ipswich, something. Uh, the the Glasgow fact that you said football ground then is ginormous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So we did that, you know. So we met people like that. But what yeah. what I always found was was like the bands at the top were like they were so mega famous. Said no need to be having airs and graces. No. Sometimes if we were, we've always bought by the bill, right? Some of the bands halfway up, they'd be the jumped up arseholes because like we on the, on the Milton Keynes shows with Bon Jovi, it was us. Oh no, was it VZ Top? I can't remember the video gigs now. It must have been one of them. I think it was Bon Jovi. I think the Manic Street Preachers joined the tour just for those two. It must have been Milton Keynes, Bob, Bon Jovi. Um, mm -hmm. They joined. It was, I think it was also Billy Idol and Bon Jovi all the way around around Europe. And then those two, two British states, they joined. And they were a bit, you know, not so friendly. They wouldn't chat to anybody. 
put yeah. bands in the wind. I mean, everybody else got along, but they're a bit, you know. I mean, by that point, it was the end of the tour, so we, we knew all the road crew. We'd been together for six weeks, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Billy Adam was really fantastic, like absolute. Just he's everything everything you imagine him to be. He is. He's a funny yeah. bloke. Can tell a great story. You know, and he just sit there and go tell us another one, Billy. You know, it's just you know, I just you know what I mean. It's like just, it's, it's just brilliant like that. So yeah. that's my experience. You know, yeah. I, when we were out with Blink, I was like nervous before we went because we we'd met uh, Mark, their bassist, before, and we met their drummer before. But for me, it was like Matt, who was playing guitar, Matt Skiba. Like again, they're like Alkaline Trio, my favorite band ever, and now he plays with Blink as well. And I was super nervous about meeting him. And he's just the nicest guy ever. And it's the same with them as well. It's like, like you were saying, Grant, like, there's no, they've no need to be like our souls or anything. Like, they're just, no. we couldn't, we did a full summer tour with them for, I don't even know how many weeks it was. It was really, it's the only tour I've ever done where we did a tour. We did like what would be considered a normal tour. We had two weeks off where we flew home to the UK and then we went back out for like another four or five. So we had like, a holiday right. in the middle of a tour, which was crazy. Yeah, um, awesome. Yeah, I mean it's fun, but yeah, they they were just super nice the entire time, and it even extended to like their crew as well. They were all super friendly, and we we were just opening. We would turn up, put our shit at the side, load on, and then just fuck off. We'd play mm. half an hour a day, and then we just got to watch our favorite band every night for free, which was amazing. And like, yeah, I mean, it it, it waked me out at first that the fact that I'd be meeting like who i would consider my idols because i can be like quite a like, nervous person around people i don't know that well so i was a bit like oh this could be really awkward but any any feeling like that was alleviated within the first week of being on the tour i was like oh this is just sick we can just walk up to anyone say hello and everyone's really sound yeah most of it i think if you if you come with an attitude that can detect it a mile away yeah right and i feel like if you're just yourself and go look we're just in all we're just in all, in all of you guys we can't believe we're here like yeah. they're, all, they're just gonna go they're gonna be nice to you aren't they you know, yeah. but if you come along with an attitude and think you think you're the next big thing, you yeah. know, they're going to go, they're ourselves, give them a shit, give yeah. me shit sound, don't let them have any, have any lights, all the rest of it, you know, yeah. what's the point of doing that? Yeah, just yeah. be nice. What's the point of being yeah. an arsehole? No, there is, again, I couldn't agree with you more there. Like, the, the one bit of advice that I've actually listened to from my dad at one point, and he said, nobody likes a dickhead. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's the point of And you do meet them, you do meet these arrogant types and you wonder why the, the, the way they are. Yeah. You just think, why? Yeah, and they slowly lose the connections. They slowly lose popularity with, mm. and, they, and it's because of dickheads, right? And what you just think? Just, I don't. I, I really detest that ego thing. Like I'm, I try my absolute hardest to not have an ego at all. Like mm. you know, you know, I don't. I'm like, I just think it's massively important. Like I really hate that part of the business, and so. Yeah. I want to just be a bloke that writes tunes like the well, bloke does the gardens or does the car. It's no different, right? You know. And I Respect, think what, because they're gone. I, I was going to say, sorry, sorry to cut you off, uh, envelope, but I, I think a lot of it comes from as well, like before, I, I, I play in a band now and we do quite well. It's been like my profession for the past like nearly 10 years now. But before that, and how I met Ombla was through touring in bands that play to nobody. And we've done the graph beforehand. And you were mentioning before that you played in bands in like the pubs and stuff. And oh, I yeah. think that does ground you a lot. So when you do get yeah. that little bit of success or you are playing the big shows, you get there and you're like, how the fuck have we ended up here? Mm. Whereas sometimes you meet like bands that have just been like skyrocketed to it. And a lot of the times you'll meet them and be like, oh, fucking, this is, these guys aren't the one. Like, they're not very nice. Like, they just feel very entitled to it. It's like they've not put the hard work in beforehand or they don't have the experience to it. That's That's been my experience with it. Yeah, I totally agree with it, 
is real quickly, is the buy-on thing true? Because obviously, like when we were in Demos, like we heard you hear things about bands buying onto tours. Yes. But we true. we've never known anyone in a big band who yeah. could tell People us that's true. Up. But now I do, so I'm asked. So that is that is a true thing. Yeah, it could happen. Yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. I mean, when, when we did, the, yeah, I'm sorry, when we did the Bon Jovi tour, they said, yeah, do it for free from now. Yeah. What do they, what do they give a shit? I mean, like, you know, they're making, they make, you know, money off t-shirts alone yeah. pays for the entire thing. Like, you know, yeah. they couldn't give a shit. So, th- I mean, to get on a, a tour of that magnitude, we played to 90,000 people arenas, which are like ridiculous outdoors. Like, yeah. then say, I have it for now. Because Toby, the singer for Little Angels, had, had, had to interview John Bon Jovi for something, for like a joke, for like a, some kind of way that it, there was some kind of thing we interviewed him for, for some show or something like that. John yeah. would John would just like Toby went, let's have his band on the tour because we like him. And that's that's that, that's how it goes, right? You know, yeah. But with, with in terms of what you were saying on like people buying on, like we've been offered a few times when we've been on tour, like a label, the band's label will normally approach you and go, like, Oh, will you take this band out if they pay you this much for the tour? It's like Probably not, no, because that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't want to buy, don't have to buy on. It seems like strange. Like I, I, I don't like the idea of it personally. Like a band mm. buying onto the tour. A lot of the time, if we're touring and we're doing like a decent sized thing, I would nine times out of ten, if it was the option of taking a friend's band out who'd never played on a tour or anything, or a band that a label are pushing or a similar level, but they'll pay you, take the friend's band every single time. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because it's going to mean more to them than it is the, 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 the people that are trying to be pushed. And there'd be no trouble. You'd be like, you'd, yeah. the, the, you know, you'd be able to get along, you, you know, yeah. no, no, no moaning goes on, you know. Yeah, and a lot of the time, like, you can make friends on the tour, but when you go on tour with people that you're already mates with, nine times out of ten, it's way, way more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Like we 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 we've done it quite a bit. Like we're doing a a tour in the UK in January. I think it's been pushed back that many fucking times now. I don't even know when it is, but fucking right. I think it's next January. But uh, again, came rounds like, who do you want to open it? It's like, oh, we've got a mates band that have never toured before. It'd be funny if we just put them on it. So we just asked them if they wanted to do it. Yeah, no, brilliant. Yeah, so the That's first class. tour they're doing is going into fucking Brixton in London. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, no pressure. <laughs> right. So, on the note of egos, do you get that in the game industry? Obviously, without fucking making you say anything or burning bridges, do you? Because we've probably all had it where we've been in bands and we've met dickheads on tour, and you can such the dickheads like a fucking from a mile away, and most of the time they don't get anywhere. Eventually, like their day will come, kind of thing. Like. Is there a thing with egos in the games industry where you've got certain individuals where it's like they're just not like how what what what's the whole makeup of the scene like? Because I know you're freelance at the moment, so you probably won't see it as much now. But no, but I think you know I've definitely met people who have got jumped up ideas about themselves. No doubt about yeah. that. Um, and often, you know, some people do fail the way to the top. And no doubt about it, um, it can happen. You know, I, I feel like in any walk of life, if you if your networking is really good and you know lots of people, and you, you know you can easily get lots of jobs that perhaps you're not good enough to do, but they're like, but you're mates with this yeah. guy and they'll get you there, you know. <clears throat> so I feel that that's definitely happened. Um, you know, it's that it's I think any walk of life is exactly the same. Um, I have met a few people that are a bit jumped up about themselves, but you just avoid them, right? You meet them, mm-hmm. say, "How are you doing, mate?" You, you, in the first ten seconds, you know if they're an asshole or not, and you just avoid them for the yeah. rest of the life, don't you? 
there's no what's the point of getting into a you know into 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 know someone like that or just to, just avoid them. Um, I've been fortunate. The people I've worked for have been well. I mean, I'm nearly 100% genuine. I've, I don't think I've yeah. worked with anybody. I've only really had one bad experience on the game in 25 years, and I, I quit that game in the end. Um, it's only Can we better. talk about it? Well, it's the only game I've ever quit. It was kind of hat in time, really. I didn't really get along with those lads. Um, it's yeah. not so much. That they, I just, they, they, I'm sure they're fine. I, we just didn't gel at all. So I was supposed to do more music than I did for that game, but I quit before doing the rest of it. Um, uh, I just didn't really, really, just really didn't really get along with them, really. Um, but as I say, it's not. It may just be my personality and their personality just didn't mix. Um, but we just didn't get along. Um, that's the only one I think I've really. That's, only, that's actually the only game I've ever quit. That one. Um, I think the nicest, one of the coolest E3 moments ever was, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name because I'll fuck it up, but the guy leading on Rabbids, when oh, yeah. that, because there's, there's that moment where you push him up, and but I think there's a bit before that where like he's in he's crying on stage. Right, yeah, no, it's, it's a, yes, it's Davide, it's Davide Soliani. Yeah. So me and Davide are great friends now. We, 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 we yeah. do speak, on, or message most days, like ever since yeah. Rabbit started back in 20, whatever it was, seven, I can't remember what it's such a long time ago now. Um, but I remember it was, it was it, because just prior to E3, the, 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 the game had been leaked quite a lot, there were quite a lot of the artwork, people knew it was, and people went, Rabbit's Mario, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be, and like, it's really yeah. demoralizing to hear that, you know, yeah. because like, like Davide was a guy that came up with the idea in the first place, you know, and he, and he had to meet Mr. Nemo, so we to show him the demo. I mean, like, how nerve-wracking is that? Like, you know, he had three weeks to try to... Yeah, I, trying I, to pitch a tactical game to Nintendo, a tactical yeah. grid-based shooter, and go, in Nintendo, we want... Oh, and licenses your characters, by the way, that's well, I know. <laughs> So, I mean, like, you know, and to, and to Mr. Miyamoto in person in San Francisco, that's what he did. He had to put a demo together, demo together in three weeks in Unity. So they put it together in three weeks. Like, that's astonishing. Um, it's crazy. The animation was so good. Mr. Nemo said, Wait, how, I take it you've got our animation. Davis said, no, no, we just, we just did it by hand. We just, I just couldn't believe it, how fantastic it was. And so just prior to E3, I mean, it, you know, it sounds like a stupid idea until you play it. It's a fantastic idea. It's such a great pairing. Like you've got the crazy rabbits are a bit like the minions. I feel like the pre the minions yeah. are crazy. They don't understand anything, yeah. you know, they just break stuff. And you've got Mario, you know, it's, it's a really great idea. But when you hear it, you go, what? Like you know, so we were all, we were all you know pretty on pretty nervous about the whole E3 unveiling thing. The press before had been pretty bad. Oh, it's a stupid idea. But the minute it hit the screen, and Mr. Miyamoto walks on, like I knew even I knew he was there, but even I jumped out of my skin when he when he got up on stage, you know. And the whole thing, like just the, the whole theater, the Orpheum Theater in LA down here, just erupted. People went crazy, right? And like it 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 just looked fantastic, and it, and I knew people were going to love it. But Davide, you know, to Davide, Mr. Miyamoto is his absolute hero. Like before he was a game designer, uh, Mr. Miyamoto was in Italy doing something in Milan, I can't remember what. Um, he was staying at a hotel and Davide had a, a, thir- a 39.5 degree temperature, a horrendous flu. Yeah. But he ran around every hotel in Milan trying to find out where Mr. Miyamoto was. And then <laughs> went, and st- went and stood outside for eight hours with his Game, with his game Boy, I can't remember which version it was, to get me, Mr. Miyamoto to sign it. And Mr. Miyamoto finally came down, there's about three or four fans that found out where he was. And, you know, that's the, that's the level of, the level that Davide holds Mr. Miyamoto in such reverence, you know. 
So when Mr. Mimoto was talking in Japanese and I heard him say Davide Soliani, and I was like, for God's sake, Davide, get up, you know. Yeah. And I just, I think, you know, he's a typical Italian Davide. He just burst into tears, you know. And it's such a touching moment because I kind of feel like for him as a creative director, it was all on him, that whole yeah. thing, right? And to get that Mr. Miyamoto saying his name at the press conference in front of millions of people worldwide, just he just, just burst into tears. And I think that moment, just it, it almost sold the game by itself, right? Yeah. Because people saw how, how genuine and all the whole team. And I was like, I felt the same way. Like, we're all just going, oh, my God. You know, and I knew how much that meant to Davide. Um, and so um, that was a real mega moment, that was. And I'll never forget that long as I live. It was so special. I think it is it's definitely up there with one of the best E3 moments I think I've seen. Like, it's just heartwarming. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the game went down so well. I remember after the show... After the thing had finished, David says, "Look, let's just get something to eat, just me and you." So I went across the street to like a sandwich shop, you know, just you know, just up yeah. at the theatre, and we had a sandwich each. We just sort of sat there looking at each other, just going, like, just you know, what what just happened? What just happened? Because the press had gone. This looks great, played great, and yeah. all that, you know, and and like, ah, um, oh, just such a magical moment. You don't get many of those, you know. Oh. And, I, and it must be like quite good going back to it now, announcing the second one. And not having to worry about that, and everyone going, I can't wait to play the sequel because everyone. Well, you still, yeah, but you still worry, right? You don't know, do you? Yeah, and I yeah. guess the, you know, yeah. you know, so it's, it's set in space. Everyone's going Mario Galaxies compact comparisons, and Davide's favorite game probably is Mario Galaxies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I get to write some spacey music. You know, the plot's great. You know, I feel like getting that, and I feel like the the trailer went down super well at the at the um, at the unveiling. Everyone really liked the. Everyone got it from the first few seconds, yeah. kind of thing. So that was. But you never know. People can go, oh, what's their stupid idea, you know? Um, mm. But you got Robin Rosalina there now, and she's like, great. She's like, really sort of like teenager, like, Ugh, you know, like, you know. I, th I feel like the what I love about the you know, Ubisoft Milan and Paris guys, I mean, they do it together. I guess most of it's done in Milan. Um, they absolutely hold Mario and Nintendo in, you know, the gods, right? You know, you know, yeah. you know completely like that. And so people always said to us that. There's so much passion in that first Rabbids, 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 uh, uh, My Rabbit's Kingdom battle game. There's a lot of passion in it. And I say, you know, you just can't manufacture that. You have to, that, the team has to feel it and put it, it just gets, it just bleeds into the game like the Banjo Kazooie. You've got to feel that passion. You just can't manufacture it. And I feel like people's really felt that because the team loved that doing that game. Everyone spent extra time doing everything because they were so frightened about breaking Mario, which is just the best character in the world, right? So, so it's just the whole thing was just massively special. How was it working with Nintendo IP though? Because I remember, I can't remember where I was, I think it was a video that you had on your website where when you were doing the castle um, melody from Mario 64 to put in the game, the arrangement, I think you transcribed it slightly wrong. So the right. Nintendo team came back and you had to change that around. But like, what was it like just for the team in general working with Nintendo who are, I think, out of all the video game companies out there, like notoriously protective of their IP and like how their characters could come across, like how. But but the game came off really, really well, and it seemed yeah. like it went. So how how was it? Yeah, so I, mean, I think Davide has weekly meetings with Nintendo, and he shows them within the, everything they're doing, so they know it's and they might make suggestions yeah. about stuff, you know. But you know, when the game first started, they were like, you know, you should take Mario and break him. Do things with Mario that we can't do. So they give him a gun. You're like, you know, Mario hasn't got a gun, right? Like, they're like, you can do things that we can't do him. Do I have him jumping? We have the, we, we have him jumping. Do I have him doing something else? Like, there's always like Mr. Nemo's like, do something else, Davide. You know, so Davide was like, great. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do what I want with him. You know. Um, but I think they also Nintendo understands 
you know how respectful all of us are on that on that team about that about the IP. We all think Mario's probably the best, the most loved video game character in the world, right? Probably. Um, he's like Mickey Mouse in video games, isn't he? You know, every kid knows yeah. who Mario is, right? So I mean, you know, you want to make sure you don't break that property. I mean, Nintendo wouldn't let it go out if, if we broke it. it would, they wouldn't allow it, you know, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. actually, the the thing that I did it wasn't the Castle Tune. It was the um, I had to do some of the in-game little stingers, um, uh, translate them to orchestra. And when, I think I did the the game of a tune, right? And I'd got it, I, th- I thought I got the harmony mixed up. I have something like, it wasn't wrong notes, it was mixed yeah. up. So I got a little um, email from them saying, because they're super polite, you know, Jim Mr. Kirkup, we love your arrangement, but can you just look at the harmony? And they sent me a little bit of sheet music to show me the actual notes, you know. And, and for that, it's that second when you kind of just pinch yourself and go, I've just got a bit of sheet music for the game overtune from Mario from Nintendo. How absolutely unbelievable is that, you know? And I, another moment was when, when I was doing some of the cinematic sequences. My son Max would say, you know, Daddy, can you believe you've got Mario on screen there on a cinematic sequence and you're writing music to it? And you just sit back and go, Jesus Christ, you know, how, how, how did that happen? How on earth, how on earth did I, how, how have I been so fortunate as to be able to write yeah. music for Mario, for God's sake? I and mean, if you tell me that in 1995 and I started it rare, I would never have believed it, you know? You've got it through hard work, though. Well, you know, I just, it's just luck, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, it's, it's hard. I don't know. I've I done my best over the years, right? So that's all I can say. <laughs> it's, it is hard work, but I think also, I think your sound is, I, there's a lot of video game composers that are out there now, and you'll probably agree with me, but you won't say it because you'll be the polite Yorkshireman, but <laughs> there's a lot of fucking composers that sound the same. And you can't tell them apart. Your music has all, you can hear a care cup tune and go, that's care cup. Because of like the instrumentation that you normally go to by default kind of thing, which is kind of like the sounds and songs that like, you used in banjo in those days kind of thing. Like you, that stays with you kind of thing. So you've always had a very defined sound, but I think that was so weird. I think like when you listen to the music from banjo and stuff like that, like it is. Like, no disrespect, because it's fucking amazing, but it's fucking weird as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you, you listen to the music from Banjo, and it's weird. But to me, that is like, it's a very Nintendo approach to music composition in the sense that you're matching these instruments that you'd never pair together. And I think, I can, you might have mentioned it on our last call. I can't remember who mentioned this, but there's an interview that Koji Kondo did once, and he said that, one of his biggest things is pairing instruments that you'd never... I think he was asked about a question in terms of, are you worried that video game music will no longer be video game music as we move towards like fully orchestrated scores and stuff like that? And he was like, well, no, because he always pairs instruments that you wouldn't hear play together in any kind of music outside of a game. Like, he'll just take all of these weird instruments, like, mash them together, and you've got this mad thing kind of thing. And I think that's what you've always done kind of thing. It's just... It, basically, your music pairs really well with Nintendo games is where I'm going kind of thing. I think <laughs> that's what has, along with a lot of hard work, has paid off to where you are today. And I think, I, going back to what West said, you're also not a dickhead. Because <laughs> dickheads don't get so that also helps as well. Because that's, let's be honest, we're all, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yorkshiremen were all sound. So. Yeah, I must admit, I think, I think that part of that, right, is 
is that when I started at Rare, I just had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and I mean, like, also look at the GoldenEye team. No one on that team had made a game before. Like, you know, there's things like that where, you know. How insane is that? Never made a game. It's literally one of the best of all time. <laughs> I know. It's, it's that thing where because you don't know, you've got nothing to judge it by, you just do what you think's best, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, th I really feel like sometimes those are the best ideas because once you start having things to reference in the past, you start wanting to be like it and, you you know, you don't have something that's, that's your own, right? And I feel like me starting at, starting at Rare, you know, doing Golden, I was pretty rocky. So, you know, that was in my wheelhouse. I knew I knew how to make that sound, you know. But then going to Banjo, it's like, I don't know how to make a platform game. I don't know what, what instruments to use. Do I use strings? Do I, do I use, well, I don't know. You know, so you just, I'll have a marine book. I think because it's got a small sample, it sounds all right. And it's it's not not a lot of memory, so that'll be good. And I've got a bloody tube that's all right. You know, you, you funny about with it until, you know, because you don't know what you're doing. And I really yeah. feel like that's probably the, the charm of it in a way. And also, I think that, I don't listen to a lot of other, other video game composers, if any, really. And it's not because yeah. I don't like any of them. It's just because just because I like to try and pull it out of my own head. That's what I like to try and do. And I, I think that sometimes it can bite you in the ass because you, you can just write the same things over and over again, which I'm sure I do that anyway. Um, you know, or it can make you have something that you think just doesn't sound like anybody else. And I, I feel like I don't, you know, I don't think I don't feel like I've got any kind of grand design of how to write music. I just write what I think, what I see, what fits, what I say. I'm not a very intellectual composer like that, you know. I always compare it to when I hear Eddie Van Halen play the guitar, I can spot it a mile away just because yeah. of the way his yeah. bra to his phrasing. Same with Brian May, oh, Queen. You can't miss his guitar style, right? He just plays like him, right? And you, that's that, that, there's, there's lots of other guitar guitarists you see online all, all the time that can play a gazillion miles an hour, which is super impressive. But I can't tell any of them apart. They all sound exactly the same. But Eddie, Brian May, those kind of people, you can spot them a mile away, right? And I feel like that with composers like John Williams, you can't miss him because it's, it's, you know, he sounds like John Williams and nobody else, right? Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel like a lot of the big movie composers these days do sound super similar. You can't really pull them apart, you know? So I like people to have a bit of personality. And I'm not trying to say I've got a grand design, it's just the way it turns out. I mean, I, I probably use, use the same bloody chord sequences over and over again. I'm sure you use the same ones. And so it just sounds like me because I use them all, all the bloody time. That's probably what it sounds like me. You know. okay, I'm broke, though. <laughs> well, I, know, I know, but I, I guess, you know, I, do, I think you just can't help. It's like handwriting. You write the way you write. I write music yeah. the way I write it. It just yeah. comes out. I don't, I, do, I just sound like me. And if I sound like somebody else, well, that's just, that's just the way it goes, you know. Mm. What soundtrack would you say you're the most proud of then? Because you've that's got a, obviously a massive, like, what, what's been. You probably get asked this all the time as well, so sorry if it's like, a, but I'm. You've got such a different selection of music. Like for me, I always think Perfect Dark is an underrated gem because I think the music in that, especially the end credits theme, just because of that stonking guitar riff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that um, you know, I like different things on different days. You know, um, yeah. I think Viva Pinata holds a real place in my heart because that's the first game I got to do live orchestra on. And, you know, yeah. you know, when you're a composer, when you when you get a, a room full of people playing music, you know, it's just it's just it's ridiculous. You know, you just think, here's me, a Judas Priest fan. You know, you know, sat going cellos bar four, you're a bit too loud. And what what the fuck do I know? It's a bit. You know, it's like <laughs> I like Hellbent for Leather by Judas Priest, but that's a great. You know, you know, you know what I mean, it's like what do I know about anything like that? So, you know, I think that's a crazy thing. So I'm mean, obviously Banjo Kazooie's got a special place in my heart because it's the first game I did by myself. All of it, you know, yeah. the odd musical sound effects. You know, doing the Mario Rabbids was amazing because 
it's Mario, and I loved working with David and the guys and, and the teams in Milan, like I'm doing now. They're just fantastic people. Uh, and also the audio director is called Ramar Brio, who's a great, great audio director. Um, you know, so it's it's super rewarding. So you know, doing civilization was great because it's big, spacey music with like orchestra again and all that. You know, so it's hard to pick out anything that I really. I'm, I feel I feel like I've been really lucky in my career that I've got to work on good stuff. Like I've, I've been so lucky, you know. Uh, you know, really have. And like, you know, getting to do the Smash Brothers thing was. I mean, for God's sake, that was another one of those moments you kind of go, yeah. "Why is it me? Why did I get to do this?" Because it's so fun. I was so honoured to be asked. Like, you know, and the Japanese guys, you know, normally do all the remixes on Smash, are so good at it. Yeah. Why on earth would they want me to do anything? Because it's so brilliant. How did that invitation come about? So I got an email from Davide at Soliani saying, "Grant, Nintendo try to get hold of you. Can I pass on your email?" I was like, are you, are you, are you crazy? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, yeah. So and then I got an email from a, a, one of the guys over there who's a, a Scottish guy, actually, so like me, um, saying, Grant, we've got a, a game, with, it's, it's a, a project with like your assistance on. Um, are you interested? I was like, I was like, are you joking? I don't, <laughs> what is it? I, no. And I kept thinking, is it Banjo? Is it Banjo? Is it Banjo and Smash? But I thought, it can't be that because. They've got lots of that was Jap- the wild rumor forever. Like, well, no, and they've got lots of Japanese. Yeah. Guys. yeah, the Japanese guys do great remixes. Why do they need me? They wouldn't. Be, I just thought perhaps yeah. something rabbit related. I thought you know. So I signed, got the NDA signed. It took a, a while to get that signed from them to my agent to me to my agents back to them and all that. And then to Nintendo America as well. So yeah, it's Banjo, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. I'd like you to do one tune, um, you know, three to four minutes long. You can pick anything you want. Uh, uh, that was it. And sent me a little PowerPoint. Uh, sat, uh, the thing to look at and it sort of said it's like it must have been the thing sent to all the kind of smash composers and it sort of says you know about a four four or five second intro uh then a bit a quiet bit a build it up towards the end and then loop around and start again like you do you know quiet and then i started i thought right so i did the little intro i did the kind of banjo thing at the start they went, went into orchestra no i tell a lie i did they said come in bang us in with the tune right at the start go quiet Build it up to the end and round. So I thought, right, yeah. the little intro, I did a big kind of thing at the start with the orchestra, went down to the little, little banjo thing on the thing and then back to the orchestra and, and, and sent it off. And they said, oh, tell you what, let's change that. We love the banjo a bit, put it at the beginning, and let that do it quiet, then it just goes crazy as you want after that. And like, that's they did, that's unusual. They didn't know it said to anybody else. I was like, all right. So yeah. I, I just went crazy at the end of that with all the orchestra going wild and all that, you know. And I did like 10 versions of it um, because Mr. Sakurai, just, just basically get asking for a little bit, a little bit less reverb. They like it quite dry, and I, I was doing that kind of yeah. Hollywoody big thing, you know. And that was basically it. They loved it, happy with it. So, oh, by the way, the, the fight say it's going to be Sparrow Mountain. And I chose Sparrow Mountain. I was like, just, I just by complete fluke, you know. And I was like, oh my god. And they sent me the, they sent me a little video of it. Like, and the, the, I didn't see Banjo. I saw other, other characters fighting on the, on the Sparrow Mountain stage. Saw Grunty flying around, and just, oh my god, I was in tears watching it, you know. Uh, and, then, and then said, look, it's come up to E3. We like your tune a lot, so we're going to use it for the for the trailer. And I was like, oh my god, like you know, it's just getting better and better and better. Like it's, I'm a dream in it, you know. Um, and so they got my tune on the trailer. I mean, that morning when they unveiled it all, so I, I, before I said, look, I'm going to do a little video of me just going banjo at home and all that. And so they like, just send us send us a video. I want to just check it over for you. And so they checked it over. So that's okay. Can you tap? I said, I'm going to do a tweet. Yeah, can you sort of include this in the tweet and all that, you know? And then um, so you've got to wait until it's live on the Smash Brothers site. You can't do anything. And so. I think the announcement was like 9.40 in the morning, my time here in yeah. LA. But it didn't go live until 11 o'clock. And so I was, my Twitter was just going, is it you, is it you, is it you, like this. I had to, to sit there and just go, I'm just dying to type something, you know. 
And 11 o'clock finally came around, and it said, yeah, you can do it now. And I did it, and it just went crazy, right? You know, everyone's crying, I was crying, and all that, you know. Because um, I think, you know, when that, that, when that trailer started, and then everyone else said, same old character, and then the jiggy bounced across. And some people missed that jiggy, and, and some people went, oh my God, yeah. it's a jiggy. Like, you know, seeing those crowd reactions, like at the Nintendo store in New York, and um, other people, all the, all the kind of YouTube guys, um, you know, reacting to it, and everyone's in tears, like, that was just absolutely magical. I, saw, I watched those reaction videos from time to time, and I still sit there and cry myself. It, you know, seeing the, it was like England scoring a goal at the World Cup, right? You know, the people just yeah. went ballistic. Yeah, you, the, you know what I mean? Just that was that another one of those moments in your life you're never going to forget. You know, how soon, how far in advance then did you know that? Because obviously, you've probably got people tweeting you like every single day, like, "Is Banjo going to be in Smash? Yeah. Banjo going to be in Smash?" Like, how long? Did you know, like, how so, far in advance did you know? So I think it was January-ish, really. January of that year. So it came up. And it was like, announced in? June. Was it June 3 something like yeah, that? Like May, June. So, so yeah. it's been sat there, like. Yeah. So it was close-ish. <laughs> and, and Ray knew before that, but obviously they didn't tell me. Um, so, because Ray had been working on it for a while, I think, like, maybe like a year, getting get the Banjo model up to scratch and all that and, you know, and send it off to Nintendo. So, um, yeah, so january and I think I did it, I finished it by about, March, maybe May, so April, something like that, round about that bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, and I remember at 8.30, I went to the Nintendo booth and talked to the lads upstairs, you know, like, and sort of said, I said, well, surely when you do your, your magic characters, you get this kind of ridiculous reaction. Well, not always, you know, but it, it, the banjo reaction has been pretty special. So even they yeah. thought the banjo reaction. So I think, I think that kind of people's pent up banjo kazooiness had been left since Banjo Tooie, like in, whatever it was in 2000. So I think that for those 18 years, whatever it was, they're just, it's like a bomb waiting to go off and like, I'm just amazing. Got to ask then, and I think we'll end it on this. And again, it's probably one you get asked a lot, but if we were going to get a Banjo 3E or a Donkey Kong Switch, whatever they want to call it, Donkey Kong OLED. Donkey Kong OLED. Do you think these old games because obviously banjo was like a huge ip or we think it was a huge ip i think it's like how would it do today like do you want to see it come back like what what are your thoughts on that you know what it's a tough one that it's like i i often wonder if the audience is there for another banjo game like i've got like ninety six thousand twitter followers which is which to me is amazing right but that's not enough people to make a game profitable if everyone along bought it there wouldn't be enough you need to sell hundreds of thousands of copies especially with the death costs and all that so you know, Rare wouldn't do it because they're busy on the Idle Wild, whatever it's called, Wild, I forgot the name, of TSC. Everwild. Everwild, yeah. They're, they're yeah. working on that and CSC are super busy on those games because, you know, CFDs is massively popular and doing really well. So they'll never do it. They'll have to find another studio to do it. They'll have to find a studio like they got to do Killer Instinct. They got, another, you know, to do that. They got another studio to do that, didn't they? Um, so they need to find another studio that, that got the humour, that was passionate about the game, wanted to do a sequel, so I feel like that's the only way it could go if that was a, if that was going to be possible, yeah. you know. And I feel like like the Crash Bandicoot, you know, remasters did fantastically well, didn't they? But the actual last band, Crash Bandicoot game, which was like a re, a new game, didn't do so well, did it? No. You know. So I I'd, I just don't, obviously I'd, I'd love to do it. I don't know if I'm banjo now. I think I could. I think I've probably got another banjo left in me, maybe. Um, to get him back to that kind of wacky sound, I think I could do it probably. I tried to get back to that on ukulele, you know. Um, so I think it's doable, 
But it, I think for me, it would be, well, they might, they might have somebody else that might want me to do it. They might get other composers to do it. You know what I mean? But I mean, but I mean, it might be, well, no, but you need to find a dev team that got the IP, that got Banjo and brought something, could bring something new to it or, because I think there's plenty of plot to do. It's a witch and a bear. You can have a good laugh with it. I know you could. Mm-hmm. But you need, it, it would take someone like Ubisoft Milan, you could take, like, taking Mario and making something different with it. I, 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 funny enough, I, I think if any studio could do it, I think Ubisoft Milan could do another Banjo game. I really think they could. Yeah. I think they've got that passion and they've got that, they've got that innovation in them, like they did with Mario. On the, you know, with their rabbits, so they could do it, I think. Or Lionhead, is it Lionhead that are doing Fable? Yeah, but they did it in the past, so they've always done that game, right? So that's theirs. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I feel like, yeah, I mean, you know, Rare wouldn't do it because they haven't got the staff, but the, 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 they could farm it out to a studio that people that wanted to do it. If a studio approached them and said, well, I'm like, I guess, like, look at the, the, the initiative over here doing the Perfect Dark game. They want yeah. to do it, they've approached Rare. It's a Microsoft company, so I guess it's a bit different. You know, who's going to do the music? Well, I'll tell you what, I'd love to do it, but then, I, I, honestly, God's honest truth, they haven't asked me, but I mean, I'd love to do it. Really? No, but I'd love to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I've I've tried to sort of get in, get to, you know, get into the, uh, get into the fray of it all, but uh, yeah. I've had no luck so far. But, um, you know, I just think you'd have to find a studio that really got the banjo thing, got the humour, you know, and could do it that way. Um, it just depends whether the audience is there. Like, it's hard. I, th- I kind of feel like sometimes I live in a little banjo bubble sometimes. So I, I, I kind of you know, kind of get that a lot of my Twitter feed about Banjo. And like, yeah. so it seems like it's a really giant thing. But from the outside looking in, maybe it isn't that giant. You know, you don't, it's, I don't, I think I'm the wrong person to ask. I just, I don't really know, you know. You mentioned something before there about um, the Crash remakes. I'd play that. I'd play the Banjo 1 and 2 redone in like, just give it a bit of a spruce up because the mechanics yeah. are perfect. Yeah, if they, if they high resin it all and made it all fantastic, we did, if we did the game textures, the whole the whole shebang, right? Which people yeah. would be a lot of work. Um, I feel like it could, I feel like it's still, I think it's still a valid game. I think people have played it on, you know, a lot of people that have played it, younger kids have never played it on the N64, they played it on the no. 360 or, the, or whatever, you know, kind of thing. I feel like getting it on the Switch would be like unbelievable, you know. Um, so I don't know if they got a high risk thing. If someone put high risk thing together and spent time on it, I think it'd probably do all right. We need to make it happen. We, well, we will make it happen. All right. Make make some noise. It'll happen. <laughs> right, Grant. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so so much for joining us. Um, like everybody listening, can't wait to play the next rabbits game, and also. Can't wait to hear more about this super secret project. And also, don't forget, don't forget either that, that, that uh, Bring Back Golden and the movie's coming out end of this month. So that's the... Uh, they, got, they got you on the payroll. Uh, so I might, no, but, no, but I might say, I did, the, I, did, I did the soundtrack, I did the soundtrack, right? So oh, did you really? Uh, I did, all of it, yeah. So um, so it's the, that's, that's a Yorkshire movie, Yorkshire lads have made it. Um, Yorkshire. Yeah. Right, it's comedy, it's funny. It's like this fictitious GoldenEye tournament. It's got, it's, I mean, obviously I've seen it because I've had to work on it. It's a good laugh. And it's all, it's all out for free for charity. And the, and the soundtrack's going to be out for free as well, the whole thing, right? So, you know, it's bring back GoldenEye. It's, I think it's like August 26th on YouTube. You'll see it on YouTube. And it's, you know, it's a Yorkshire movie for Yorkshire lads. So uh, I'd say, I'll look at it. I'll be watching it then, 100%. Yeah, too right. It's good. Right, class. Grant, thank you so, so much. All right, it's lads. It's been a pleasure, dude. Yes, anytime, anytime. Take- you know where I am. Absolutely. Take care, man. All right. I'll say goodbye to you. See you later. Cheerio.